Hi, this is Rob Reynolds, and you're listening to Education and Technology Futures, a weekly podcast that highlights interesting trends and connections in the worlds of education, technology, and culture. Chapter 1. One Person's Mountain is Another's Tourist Destination. I think it's interesting how we can take things that no one in a normal state of mind would do and turn them into big events and huge tourist destinations. For example, a few people came up with a crazy idea for a competition in 1978. So crazy, in fact, that only 15 other crazy humans would get involved. Swim 2.4 miles, take a 112-mile bike ride, and then run a marathon. Didn't they have anything else better to do? But fast forward 40 years, and Ironman triathlons are a worldwide phenomenon. Or... Take a 1,500-mile bike race organized by a newspaper in 1903 to boost its circulation. Everybody likes to read about things that they could never imagine doing, right? Now fast forward 100 years and we have what has become the Tour de France Spectacle, a worldwide media event with over 3.5 billion viewers. Of course, the craziest idea turned into a sport and a tourist destination has to be climbing Mount Everest. What used to be considered something only a very select few would even attempt has now become a multi-million dollar business. Particularly interesting is the fact that as the Mount Everest climbing business has grown, the role of the famous Sherpa guides has shifted. Instead of continuing to serve as guides hired by Western companies offering expensive expedition packages, the Sherpas have begun to offer expedition packages of their own undercutting the prices offered by Western companies. What was once an established business model with a clearly defined supply chain and set of roles has been disrupted. Thinking about this disruption of the Mount Everest model by the Sherpas has made me wonder how this might apply to education. Traditionally, education in the U.S. has been locked within monolithic structures that are empowered by state and federal funding. But what happens when others in the supply chain decide to take on different roles or the rules of the system change dramatically? What happens when businesses, typically the clients of higher ed institutions, decide to grant their own degrees? Or what happens if high schools, traditionally the feeder for higher ed, begin offering their own two-year degrees to juniors and seniors? What happens when an increasing number of parents and students, unwilling or unable to pay the rising cost of a college degree, opt to pursue non-traditional routes to professional certification? Or what happens when institutions decide to bypass expensive short-term tuition models and persuade people to pay affordable monthly fees over longer periods of time for long-term life learning? From the inside, these possibilities probably seem absurd. They can never happen, you say. On the other hand, history provides us with a long list of things that shouldn't have happened, but did. I think it's definitely something worth thinking about. Chapter 2. Separate but Unequal Have you ever noticed how much we like to group things that are alike? Or, to put it a different way, have you ever noticed how we don't like to mix things that aren't alike? I mean, heck, there's even a famous Sesame Street song to help us learn which things in a group 
don't belong. Now, don't get me wrong. Affinity groups and identifying things that match or don't belong is an important part of human life. The challenge occurs when we group things that are alike to the disadvantage of others or ourselves. We have a number of examples of this detrimental grouping in education. For example, we know that focused grouping or segregation by skin color is really bad. And we're certainly aware that deliberate grouping by socioeconomic levels leads to gross inequity. It can also be problematic to separate learners too strictly by skill specialization or performance. We've learned that these types of groupings, especially when forced artificially, can prevent cross-sharing of behaviors and strengths, reduce needed system diversity, and most important, lead to groups that are separate but not equal. Of course, these are just a few obvious examples, and not surprisingly, most of them are associated with attempts to actually improve the quality of education for one or more affinity groups. Unfortunately, too many times, these good intentions result in scenarios that promote inequality. It reminds me of the time, way back when, that I spent a semester teaching at Yale University. When I returned to Texas to complete my graduate studies, people commonly asked me, what were the students like? And I would tell them that the only real difference is that the students at Yale all belong to a much narrower spectrum of achievement than the students at most universities. Everyone's an overachiever, I would tell people. They're not any smarter, just part of a refined, unnatural selection process. Now, it's one thing if a private university wants to do this, but the practice can be insidiously subtle with undesirable outcomes when applied to our schools. Take the latest scores by U.S. students on the Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, for example. As has been the case in prior years, U.S. student scores were relatively stagnant and ranked in the middle of the 79 participating nations. What was somewhat unexpected is that researchers are finding patterns of growing inequality in the scores. Peggy Carr, Associate Commissioner for the National Center of Education Statistics, points out that the exam results are showing a widening achievement gap between high and low performing students, with the vast majority of educational inequality occurring inside each school. The cause? Well, one theory is that the main culprit is tracking or separating more advanced students into more challenging classes. This elevates and separates one group of students while depriving the other group of advanced instruction and resources, as well as the positive influence of working with higher achieving peers. In other words, in our desire to promote high-performing students, we may have unwittingly created another education scenario of separate but unequal. It's something to think about. Chapter 3, High-Quality Learning Materials for All Since the late 90s, back when the Internet for Education was just beginning to pick up steam, Institutions and faculty have recognized that digital technologies offer the means to reduce the cost of learning materials for students and to share university education and resources with learners around the globe. Projects like Merlot from the Cal State System and the Open Courseware Initiative at MIT and other Ivy League universities created a broader awareness of the possibilities in the U.S and served as an important foundation for the important work of organizations like OpenStax, Khan Academy, 
Lumen Learning, and CK12. Organizations that produce free, openly licensed learning materials that anyone can use for personal learning or in courses taught at schools and universities. These Open Educational Resources, or OER, have disrupted the business models of traditional educational publishers. They've made college education more affordable for many students, and they've created valuable resource centers for personal lifelong learning. Most important, over the last two decades, OER providers have made a clear and resounding declaration that everyone, regardless of their background or circumstances, should have free access to high-quality learning materials. As the leader of an organization committed to affordable learning, I'm particularly happy to announce that Tell is adding its highly engineered course content to this important OER movement. With Tell Learning, we're providing free, openly licensed access to all of our course materials. This includes scaffolded content for 16 general education courses, available online and with downloadable PDFs. There's no login information required to access these materials, and they can be shared and reused freely under a Creative Commons license. Equitable access to college-level learning is a major issue in our society. It's also both a personal mission for me, and it's the core of our work here at Tell. I, we believe that cost should never be a barrier for anyone who wants to continue their education and to keep moving forward in their personal and professional lives. It's something to think about.